Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this episode. BQE Core is the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Learn more at bqe.com. I mean, we've both designed schools, yeah? I've definitely been in those meetings, those user group meetings, where they bring in a security expert and they start drawing prison lines on the plans because that's what schools need to be in order to keep bad people out. That's how I would characterize it. And it's 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 like a surgeon. Their job is to cut. <laughs> so the answer is surgery. And for a you know, sometimes it's like a retired police officer or whatever, and they come in and their their job is to make it look like a prison because that's what keeps violent people out and it keeps the safe on the inside. And it's never it's never that easy, right? I mean, and just to think about where I've practiced versus where you've practiced and thinking about the way schools are designed in different climates and areas and Every community has a different set of inputs that are going to help flesh out what that school is going to be like to be in. There's different, there's so many things, so many factors, and it's so easy to come back later and say, well, it should have been this way when something happens. And you can never foresee what those things are going to be in the future. Of course, you're trying your best to plan for any number of things that could possibly happen in the future on a school campus. It's impossible. Right? It's an impossible task. And so you you do everything you can when you can to to make it a safe but more important a learning environment that's conducive to to that, right? And those things don't always align. They they just don't always align. So I just I think about I think about what happened and I think about how there's a lot of armchair quarterbacking going on and there's experts being interviewed on you know every school should have a police off armed police walking around every school should have a single entry gate which you know all that that kind of stuff just screams prison to me that's what it screams oh yeah yeah think about this the student experience which is something that we often think about when we are designing schools is the student experience on a day-to-day basis and how that all psychologically plays into the student experience in the name of safety. I, I get it, but at the same time, like it, it is creating potentially oppressive experience, right? And and it all that stuff does weigh on the psyche of the students who are who are attending a school. You've been on numerous school board meetings. You've been in you know numerous design meetings with school capital construction committees and things like that. You've been on meetings with PTAs. You've been on all of these different meetings who have, who help shape the future of schools. We've, and I know that you have probably dealt with and if the school of the 21st century and, and what does that mean? And yes, part of the conversation when we're talking about the school of the 21st century is the conversation of school safety and how to increase the school safety. But 
none of them ever really mesh. They never really match. You know, ideals of one thing don't match up with the ideals of something else. And I, I've been in meetings where every time we have a school shooting, and now seeing how it's happening more and more frequently, security is first and foremost. And so I, I'm just thinking about, and, and it's hard to put into words, all of the emotions that I've got going on right now, a lot of them is anger. A lot of them is disgust. A lot of them is a lot of things. But, you know, if if I'm putting it specifically in the context of architecture and, and just thinking about the evolution of all of these different, the, the different policies that shape schools, you know, I, I've seen where in Florida, when when I first started my career and in Florida, there was the open campus and, you know, very much where you entered into basically a shotgun building that was connected several different buildings that were, that made up a campus that were connected by uh breezeways. We so, call it a finger plan. We call it, don't, don't call it a shotgun building. <laughs> no, that's, well, unfortunate. I, I mean, it's just, you know, it's this long singular building, right? Double loaded corridor right down the middle. Well, so, Oh, I know I'll, what you're talking about. You're talking about a single row okay. of classrooms with an outdoor Sing- like, exactly. covered walkway yes. that connects yeah. them all together. Right. So this is not, very Southern California as well, by the way. And, and so, and if you think about like that, then you think about the evolution of that as we, you know, started to take different security and safety measures into mind. And it isn't just necessarily about active shooter. It's talked about you know, predatory actions at school. And there's all these other different concerns that it started to morph. And I don't know if your Southern California footprint of a building changed as much as Florida's did, where it went from something that it was, uh, you changed classes outdoors. You left the, you know, you left out of that room, you went outside, you walked down the corridor to your next classroom, or you walked across campus to another one. They're all indoors. It is a fully connected. Mm, yeah, no, that never happened here, really. Climate won't, climate won't allow. I, I should say funding doesn't allow buildings to be fully enclosed here in Southern California. <laughs> because, yeah, they, they're not going to pay for it. And I think this is something I definitely want to get to. I don't want to derail you. But I think we should talk about the the dollar aspect and what architects are up against when designing schools. Because, again, if we kind of go back and look at this from the armchair perspective later on this is definitely one of those things where it's like well yeah if cost was no object we would do all these things so anyway back to your back to your school design changes over time in florida even those similar issues that they that you're talking about on climate and everything else i mean central and south florida certainly deal with very similar uh issues as as that but um but so you know we have you know, even though we have the same similar climate concerns, the security outweighed everything. You know, we saw buildings that were trying to capture a lot of like natural light, where then you changed it where there was people not there was a committee that basically said your your windows have to be uh six to eight feet off the ground. Right. Can't see inside the in the classroom from the outside, right? It's distracting to the students on the inside. It's a security reason for the outside. Yeah, right. Well, it's not even the. Dist- I mean, you know, there's 
countless studies that show that, you know, natural daylighting in classroom actually contributes to the, to the learning environment. We all know this, but when architects speak up and say, you know, hey, you know, these security measures are making this a prison-like atmosphere and stuff, there's like the variety of different people come out of the woodworks telling everybody why, you know, this is, you know, oh, but you can do this and you can do this and you can do this. And it's, you know, sort of like telling us how to do our job. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of things fighting for, for. I, they, they're just trying to be the top topic. And the the fact of the matter is none of them can be the top topic when, when you're doing this. And then something horrific, like a mass shooting happens and there is only one topic. Right. And of course it's after the fact, but uh, that that's just, it's so difficult to design a school with all of these competing factors. Right. Exactly. But then, you know, you have uh, situations like this that happen but then you have all the armchair quarterback. And like you said, you know, it's just like, you've got to do this and you got to do that. And then they say, well, but what do you think architect? Um, tell us how to, you know, to do this. How do we implement this? How do we design this? How do we do this? And, you know, they, but they never really listen to some of the implementations that we have when we try to make a hardened safe, but also aesthetically pleasing um, something that, you know, works with, the studies of teaching community on what makes a good classroom and all of these other things. And so the AIA came out with their um, statement of reflection. This is a time of reflection. That's the, that's the, the, the name state- of the statement, right? Which, you know, is just a very knee jerk. We've got to make a statement and here's our statement. We have to make an empty statement. That's oh. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you said it because I was going to say we have to make a statement. It's going to be a empty statement, but we j- just so everybody knows that we're here and we're here to help you. But we're going to make an empty, you know, kind of statement. We're just it's just sit down and, and and talk with your tens of thousands of architects who who do this on a regular basis that actually can sit down and help craft a, a real statement. There's so many things wrong with this empty statement. And I, I will just put a link to it in the show notes for those who haven't seen it, because I'm sure even if you did, it, it kind of doesn't even matter. Right? It's just one of those statements where it's like, here we are, um, we're AIAing. And I don't mean that. I, I guess I mean that <laughs> how I said it, but it's it's like there's nothing of substance to it. There's nothing of, like it mentions the that we are the crafters of the built environment. And that's not a quote. Uh, but it's but it's like the built environment matters. Like we need a much stronger stance from a national organization about the built environment and how it's conducive to this or takes all of these other things into consideration. And that this statement is not it. And it, it because really, I think what what we find ourselves in the position of being in as architects of schools and modernizations and retrofits and add-ons and all, you know, there's many different ways that architects touch schools. And guess what? Architects have to touch schools because they are, you know, these are public buildings. These are commercial buildings. They have to be done by an architect. And there's so many different things that we have to deal with. And usually they're just in reaction to policy and that could be good policy and that could be bad policy. And I think what I want to see from the AIA is working at a policy level of, in this case, gun violence, right? 
their their needs it's and it's not like guns are just one output of the what i see personally and i don't necessarily want to go this direction in the conversation but this is a we have a society that is obsessed with violence obsessed like seriously try to watch a pg-13 movie without crazy violence in it and it practically doesn't exist and that might even go for pg and not even to mention video games and the total obsession with violence that this country has and we wonder why things like this happen it's pretty obvious to me and and i say gun violence because this is the thing in the headline right now that became the output of this tragedy it became the the tool of output for this tragedy because of gun policy in this country and and so then architects are left to pick up the pieces of reacting to bad policy to design environments that then need to deal with acting with bad policy. And to me, this is where the AIA needs to have a very strong opinion and position on how to deal with these things so that the people who do design the built environment don't have to deal with this crap. And therefore, everybody after the fact, armchair quarterbacking this, pointing the fingers at the designers of the place who, like, they're, I guess this is where we start to get into funding. You're, you're, you're talking about some, some good points here. You know, and I just want to, you know, comment on a couple of just these, like, knee-jerk reactions that, you know, you're talking about. When you see these comments in from like everybody it's just like okay let's take this specific one and obviously there's a variety of different ones but this specific one where they you know they're just like well the the shooter entered through a you know an unsecured door i keep seeing this crap about the door this is not about doors exactly and that that's the thing is just like but but the reactions are you know these knee-jerk reactions are are oh well what is the door even doing there you know why would you have a door there when you just have this one door you know why not just that one front door and you're just like this this is where this is where architects have failed the aia has failed in substantiating the value of what we do and i don't mean it that way from like a marketing speak but i mean from like a life safety point of view exactly exactly and so the conversation really is it's like you know hey we it is so complicated it's well it's it's complicated but i've gotten so frustrated because there's so many different of these you know knee-jerk reactions to it's not the gun it's the person it's not the the person it's the building it's not that this it's the that and i'm just like oh my lord you know it's the door the door that was propped open it's just like well you know when they were coming back in, you know, the, the door didn't lock. We're going to investigate, you know, why it didn't lock. It's like we're losing focus on so many different things. But where specifically architects and the AIA could focus in on is talking about all of the proactive measures that we as an organization have taken throughout all of these conversations about how we can be a part of the conversation when we're talking about school safety, because that's what we do. There's been so many times where you, I'm sure you have, and I know I have sat through so many different seminars of security experts and things like that. I'm doing it on my current project right now. And we're 
we're talking about, you know, they've got security guidelines for the overall development and also the campus that we're working on and how those, you know, interact together. And then because it's a campus and there's eight buildings, you know, how is that security implemented within each of these buildings? Because you aren't going to have just one front door for a campus. So how do you, you know, control security throughout all of that? And so there's all of these different conversations that we as architects are a part of that have as much expertise in being able to design and develop a, we can call it a hardened building. We can call it a secure building. We can call it whatever we want to call it, but we've got so much expertise or understanding of how to be able to take and implement a lot of these security ideas, or at least be a part of the conversation of the security ideas. Cause I know that I come into me personally, I come into this thought of security and safety, especially dealing with gun violence from almost a military aspect. And it's just, and I think about like, okay, in all of my training as a soldier and now as an architect, how would I prevent somebody who was trained like me, or at least are thinking about, you know, doing harm to someone? How do I prevent them from doing it through design? Just this level of frustration that I have because we know, you know, I read the the hollow statement from the AIA. I just, you know, who are they talking to before they make these statements? Who are they, you know, are they talking to the architect community at large? Are they talking to architects who have security backgrounds? You know, I'm, I'm sure that there are, are plenty of people out there that are security experts as architects who are part of this conversation. And are they talking to them? Because if we're just put it, you know, being another knee jerk reaction to this overall, you know, problem that we're not really solving anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think even just opening up the conversation, instead of saying, here's the, here are the answers. And I'm not saying in any, in any way, shape or form that there were any answers in that hollow statement. This is what we need to be having conversations about as a profession. And those experts can then opt into that conversation and be a huge part of it. And add value to that conversation. And instead it's like, as you may know, I think the the very last thing is like, as, as you may know, I'm looking for it right here. As you may know, AIA was integral to the enactment of a law that created the school safety clearinghouse, a multi-federal agency of effort to address school safety through a variety of efforts, architectural, mental health professionals, law enforcement resources, et cetera, including design. And so basically this whole thing it's call to action at the end is go read this website. And it's like, um, to me, it's not, the, the answer is not, well, we've already created this resource that is probably on many levels, a dead document. I don't know how often it gets updated. I'm, I mean, if I, if I click on the link, I believe that it, it takes you to a, a site that it does look like it gets updated every once in a while, but like thinking about it, like there's definitely nothing on here regarding the latest incidents. Um, and I just think like, that's not, this is, this is not a conversation. And, and the other thing that I don't like about this statement is that it, it does not encourage any conversation either. And even, even the Twitter, if you look at the Twitter post for this, and I get it, it's hard to run an organization. It's hard to have like a, a really, 
uh, it's not, I don't know if it's hard, but they don't have a very strong position on this because I just, it's not like this hasn't happened before. So I'm not quite sure why, but, but it doesn't like, here, here's our statement and it's a time to reflect over this. And, and it's like, let's take a few minutes. It's, it's like, Oh, this is just news that this news cycle is going to go away. There's going to be another tra- tragedy soon that w- that will take our attention off of this. I don't think that's the answer at all. Like this needs to be something that engages this audience that they have of members of like 94,000 members to do something about this for school safety at a national level. And there are going to be a lot of insights gleaned from that for schools that already exist to be able to implement coming from architects who are members of the AIA coming together to help solve this problem. Obviously we're a piece of that puzzle. We are not the solution to this problem, but, but it needs to be the call to action is not go read this, this one website that it, it needs to be active conversations. It needs to be something that engages people where they are right now, today, 2022, June, not, not this other stuff. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. Systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures. But you struggle with choosing the systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by an acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger, FAIA, to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Tiger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com slash masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit. And when you visit bqe.com slash masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com slash masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. And now let's get back to our conversation. So I went to the website and I went to the targeted violence um, section of that website. And then you scroll through the featured resources. And, you know, it doesn't look like it's been updated. And if you actually go and you look at the featured featured resources, 2018, 2017, 2017. And, and that might be good information, but it does feel stale. And it might turn somebody off immediately to say like, this. there's no r- recent research here. So here's, okay. It's hard for me to talk about this for the simple fact that I have a wife who is a 
first grade teacher who I'm looking at one of these right now, a K through 12 active shooter exercise starter kit. Let's all practice for our deaths, people. And, and I, I think about in anger and frustration, the fact that my first grade teacher who not only has all of the challenges of underfunded, overcrowded schools and things like that and everything else that amongst all of that, she has to sit down with six-year-olds and talk about active shooters and what those drills are. And what was amazing about some of the stories that I heard um, coming out of this tragedy was the fact that there were little kids who had their cell phones and who were calling 911 because now, yes, it was, they were calling them because they went through all of these active shooter drills and things like that. And, and so they were prepared, you know, and, and so you can say that, you know, all of this training, but I just think to myself, how have we become this society where it's okay to, I mean, because you've now created a starter kit for six-year-olds to avoid being shot at school. What the hell? This, this is why I started the conversation off with us being addicted to violence. And it's not like we're addicted to violence so that this kind of thing can happen, right? But it's this kind of boiling of the frog over decades of things getting more and more finely tuned to basically enable teenage boys' dopamine levels to be constantly firing. And, and it's like, this is just now the way that it is. And parents who are slightly disconnected, I'm sure it's even parents who are not disconnected at all. Just have, there's, there's like this kind of thing is, is going on everywhere on all kinds of levels and it's quote unquote normalized. And therefore all of our facilities that are for the public like these now have to react to that. That's the world that we live in. And therefore this is how we have to design them because and it's not treating the cause, it's treating the symptoms. And it's and I can't even imagine what your wife has to go through to do that. And then imagine it actually happens and like these kids have been practicing for it. And that's the society that we live in. Well, so not not only does she have to spend, you know, um time during the summer preparing curriculum for the upcoming year and things like that, but you know, many times she is going in and spending like, you know, a two week training period on self-defense, on how to disarm an active shooter. It, it's just crazy, crazy making it. It's crazy. making. I want to get back to this funding idea just because I, I want to tease it out a little bit. Do you, I, I don't practice residential architecture. I don't know what the current kind of cost per square foot, just to give us kind of a data point on this of, I I have a sense that custom single family homes are somewhere in the 700 to $1,200 per square foot range. I could be off, but do you have any sense of where that is? I think you're, you're off on the way high side. But it all, but those but are the fancy houses. Those are the fancy houses. Those yeah. are the really, really fancy houses. So, so what if some people who are just who are just building a a, a nice but not you know spec so, house? Let's just say a, a better than normal builder home um, is probably in the in in many of our residential um, 
uh, friends will probably yeah, like send completely. Us the email. Yeah, they will send. They will send us the we email. Didn't, we didn't ask this um, question ahead of time. It, no, is you know probably like in the the two fifty range, um, and could be, and then as you're starting to get into more custom homes and things like that, I, I would say that when I was practicing and doing residential, and this is now close to a wow, look. Yeah, fifteen just, years. This information doesn't matter anymore, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, well, but it, but it, well, no, but it, it, probably. Well, I mean, I was doing like high end residential fifteen years ago, and it was five hundred dollars a square foot. Yeah, so that um, that is way higher now. That's that's the number I, was, qu- I so, was quoting. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but, the only reason I bring that up as a data point is because like houses, uh, houses, small houses are expensive to build. Schools are also expensive to build, but what is the dollar per square foot if you had to pick a number average that is allocated for a school building? Well, I know that a lot of times it starts with a one. Yeah, right. It's probably, and I don't know current numbers. I would imagine those have also gone up because of the industry right now with supply chain. And I know wood especially is ridiculous. It was, it went from, like a hundred dollars a board foot to twelve hundred dollars a board foot, uh, so it's something insane right now. And in California, we build a lot of schools out of wood. So um, I would also just echo your, you know, one eighty-five to two fifty was kind of a normal elementary school price range. And so, you know, the only reason I bring this up is because, like, why aren't there two doors in every classroom? That's why. Like there's, there are decisions that have to be made. I mean, there's also other things like building code. There's also other things like security, putting a lock on every door that's facing the outside. Um, there's also other things like, um, well, I'm trying to think of what all the different things could be, but teachers having, you know, a, a perspective on the classroom, being able to control access, you introduce another access point and that just creates havoc in a lot of ways and you multiply that times however many classrooms there are and it gets crazy fast so you think about all that kind of stuff and and it's like there's a there's always the question since this is about doors right why aren't there more than one per classroom and it's like well there's actually a lot of reasons why why there and usually it comes down to money you know and it's funny that you you say that because there's been many a times where i'll start a project off and especially back when i was doing you know like K through 12 all the time in, you know, many projects per year that, you know, I would start the project off, obviously sitting down with the teachers, first going through the ed spec, you know, the educational specification of that particular jurisdiction about what they want, what they require for theirs. Well, go through all of the... Which is often dictated by other schools that already exist in the district, right? And not not about the school of the future. <laughs> exactly. No, it, it is such a baseline and it is not, you know, and then going through the standards of, you know, the school of the 21st century and then trying to like overlap them with those, then going through all of the standards of the, um, the state funding policies and, you know, what is going to be required as a bare minimum for state funding at whichever level is chosen for all of that. And so you go through all of that in all of that doesn't even remotely take into account the actual like you know sitting down with the teachers and really going through and talking about like the conversation of you know like how you teach and and what make you know like okay you're 
you're working in a building that is is designed to it was probably that value engineered building that you know they took all of the extra doors out because you know money and windows and things like that and all of that other stuff and then you're like well what would what would improve this and then you you start to implement all of those things but then exactly as you said you start to chip away at all of those things as you start getting closer and closer to that dollar figure it's like it's like oh you you know you designed it to the high end well we need to start getting it to that low end right yep they they start off at the high end and like oh yep and then we start talking about all the compromises that have to be met and i guess my real point here is the amount of investment in public schools is crazy low for our society. And to think about like all the what ifs and what could be's and if we could do it again and all of those things, like the reality is there's no funding uh, for, for many, many, many districts out there. There are some, of course, that are the exception to the rule. Like I can think of many here in Southern California, but there are others that are the other end of that spectrum where people don't vote for those bond measures because their kids are out of school. And what is the, why do they want more of my tax? You know, there's all the excuses in the world. Yeah, Let, like I want my tax money to go here instead of there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like everybody does get to decide that those are individual decisions that get to be made. But the, but when it comes down to designing schools or to modernizing schools, that happens very rarely, like every 30 years that school might get modernized for technology updates for various small things, HVAC upgrades, maybe they're going to add a multi-purpose room, but they're not going to go back and retrofit every single classroom with whatever. They're just not. And so this is the kind of investment that our nation, our the people of our nation are willing to put into schools. And so I, that's just another constraint that architects are working within, you know, and, and it is easy to say later, like, well, how come there weren't twice as many doors in a school than there are, right? Because of then they at least had a chance, right, to get out. Then like it just that these are the real world things that architects have to deal with. And not it's not even that the architect gets to decide. Like the those decisions are made by lots and lots of people. Oh, in massive committee. You know, it's so at the height of doing all these K through twelve schools that I was doing, um my my local school where my kids went uh went to school they were adding a security vestibule where so when you come in the front door the original school you know when i was taking my kids to school you come into the front door and you're pretty much right in the front hallway and so they were going to add a security vestibule so that you go into that front door and you're you're basically corralled into the office and you can't you can't check in until and they they buzz you in you know at the front before you actually get into the office, they'll buzz you in. And then, you know, you go through the whole protocol of like, you know, logging in and all this other stuff. You go and take your ID and you get scanned and everything else before you can even go into the into the building. And, and that part is fine, except for what their solution was, is that they essentially created such this, they, instead of modifying it to a point where they would probably have sat down with, you know, an architect or a um, security expert or something. They said, well, we need a um, security vestibule. And so, you know, here is the the front door. Here's how we need, you know, here's the easiest way for us to like add. And they did that. And what they ended up doing was creating essentially a bottleneck where it's a single wide corridor. And we're only talking about maybe five feet wide. Mm-hmm. 
think about a school in an elementary school that has everyone has to pass through that over a thousand students passing through that door right in the logistical nightmare and everything else that that is created and so because they're they, not stepping back and looking at it with the right exactly people at the it, table at the right time they're like okay how, we have this problem how do we solve this problem but how do we solve this problem not only you know, the right way, the most efficient way, something that helps the functionality of the school itself. But also, I mean, they created, in my own personal opinion, in fact, I, my own personal experience, because I had a kid who, you know, um, he was, they were all trying to go out the door and everybody was trying to jam through the door and he got, you know, kind of pushed into, it was really heavy gauged this new security vestibule was this really heavy gauged uh, stainless steel, or not stainless steel, you know, steel curtain wall. Um, I'm blanking. Tube steel. Yeah. Tube steel. Anyway. And, you know, he got bumped into it and he got, you know, he hit his face and he came home with a black eye just from going out a door. Now think about like a fire or things like that, or any of these other things and try to, how many people would get exactly. And these are the things that we, we, we have to weigh. Yep. This is what we work on. These are the this, problems that we solve. Yep. We talk about, I'm, I'm going to just say it. I mean, there's, there's really honestly no other way to say it. I mean, we have to think about things like these oblique corners and it was dubbed in one school district as the rape corners. Yeah. Yep. And I've heard that you too. Know, I mean, you know, and all of these different things that we have to deal with to look at and all this other stuff. And we think, we think about these things, you know, we think about, okay, if there is a blind corner, how do we prevent that? Or how do we help, you know, that so that, you know, you get more eyes in that corner. So it's not a blank corner anymore. You know, you can actually see within it and all of these different things. And, and I, there were so many different conversations that I've had sitting there in front of the capital construction, both the actual like planners, big air quotes there, and the security people and the maintenance people and all of these other things to talk about all of these things and really try to have them see what it is that we're trying to do to implement those. But it's having that conversation with all of the right people in the room. And when you don't have the right people in the room, you get these things where, you know, a kid just tried to leave the school gets a, a black eye. I have a similar story without any bad outcomes, but it was, it, it was uh, determined at some point during construction of a K through eight that I designed that the front door needed to be protected by bollards mm. in case a car was going to just be smashed through the front of a building. Cause I, yes. I guess that could happen. Sure. I'm, oh, sure, no. I'm it, sure it has happened. <laughs> right. Anyway, the, the, the solution that came out of the construction trailer, which, you know, again, this was just kind of a, a last minute ad during construction. Hey, some, somebody, you know, shows up and says, Hey, what are we doing about people who try to crash their cars through the front door? And the solution that came out of this, I was not a part of this conversation, which is mind blowing to me that I'm not even invited to participate in this conversation. And it's always, it's always framed as like, Hey, we, we drew this thing up, but we wanted to get your input. What do you think after the fact? Right. And, and I, I kid you not like the number of bollards that surrounded this front piece of glass in the main administration, like check-in area, like you're describing Yep. It was like a jail of bollards. Okay. Like, and so, and so again, like there are many pieces of a school that are prison-like doesn't mean they have to look or feel prison-like at all. 
because that's what we design around. We design around the constraints, the necessary constraints of security, safety, all of these things. But it doesn't mean it has to look and feel like that because, again, that does have a psychological impact on every single person that passes through those front doors. And over time, that does not set up people to be great contributors to society, great civilians, right? It's like everybody's living in fear at the school. And part of that is because it looks like a prison. And and so it's like, no, we don't have to accept this solution. Seriously, they sent me this PDF. I can't even tell you. There was probably 18 bollards that kind of formed this frame around the front door that kind of projected outward toward the parking lot. And it's like, if you're telling somebody something, I, I mean, I, that's to me what it said was like, hey, like we're we're proactively responding to you trying to drive your car through the front of this. It's not going to happen because look, we just put 18 bollards here. And, and instead it's like, no, 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 we're not doing that. Right. We're not going to make a prison of bollards in front of the school. And so it was not, it it seriously took like 20 minutes. No, I'm just going to design these different radius concrete pedestals and kind of randomly place them so that the, the distance between them never exceeds X footage, right? So that somebody can drive through it, but it gives the place a feel that is not a prison. It gives kids something to sit on. It it makes it more playful because it's a school and, and it, it's not going to give anybody the psychological impact of the prison vertical bollard look. And, and it was like, when, when it, when I sent that back, I'm like, no, we're going to do this. And, and it's like, whoa, and, and and in that moment right there, it was such a great example of why architects need to be at the table when these decisions are being made. I went through this exercise on one of my, the last project, I went through this exercise on numerous um, K through 12s, um, you know, kindergarten, the last kindergarten that I did, not kindergarten, the um, K through five that I did, same thing, you know, they you know, for security reasons, because of, you know, whatever active shooting event that happened at that particular time. Now they want to have this and that and stuff. And so, I mean, I'm totally for every discussion around school security, but I want to be a part. I I want us, I don't want to sound selfish. I want us as architects, as design professionals who understand exactly what you just said that we can implement all of these but let's have this conversation early on let's not again knee-jerk reaction where now we're going to have this five thousand bollards right in front of it so you're basically you know having to kind of like you know zigzag through to get into the front door because you know because then they're not thinking about again these potential safety hazards of okay yeah you're in and yeah you can't keep you know, you can't have somebody enter in with a vehicle or something like that, you know, because you have this thing. But now think about the other ramifications of exactly the psyche of what you've created with that, you know, this like, and now you've created this, you know, prison like, you know, situation. And, you know, so many times I've heard in the past two weeks, oh, well, suck it up. You know, if it, you know, wants to look like a prison, it should look like a prison just so they, they know that this is secure. We are talking about the future leaders of this country. Yeah. And we are talking about how they're educated and the environment that that is so that they can be effective leaders of this country. And there's all, there's a huge spectrum there, right? But that's like best case scenario. 
we can't create the type of learning environment that creates those kind of people with the with the lack of a stance against a policy position like this we can't as as an industry as a profession if if we can't stand up and say these the the source of this problem needs to change then we don't deserve to do this job we don't like we can't just stand around entitled and saying well we've got to do schools like because we've we we're the ones who have to stamp the drawings and and we're the ones who do our like like we don't just get to do it by default if if we can't stand up and say we have to go after the the source of the problems not the symptoms of the problems just it's not going to work and this to me kind of gets back to an earlier episode about the cyarc stuff right and the lack of response from our community that as far as i can tell nobody wrote in to tell me where i could go look and i've i've looked like there's very little conversation going on about the toxic breeding grounds of this profession and this is a very similar subject to me where if if we can't be bold and and say here's why this matters and here's what needs to happen to solve it we we have a very large lobbying agency working on our behalf but if we're quiet then they're going to make hollow statements and that to me is just completely unacceptable and we don't deserve to exist as a profession and so they will find ways around us they being the people who want to build these things like there's no question in the future they will find if we're not adding value for not actually helping solve these problems then that we're not necessary right and right now we're just necessary because somebody wrote it into a law but guess what those those things change they will go find somebody else to take care of it and then you'll get prison bollards in front of your school right because they'll just ask the contractor to draft it up in adobe acrobat real quick so that they can throw those things in during construction and that's what we that's what you get and that to me is is kind of crazy making i ho- i just hope that that uh, having this conversation out loud right here and and putting it out there for people to engage with uh is is helpful and useful and that it goes a little more in depth than you know this is this is merely a time to to reflect because it like just a few minutes to reflect isn't going to change anything Thank you to BQE, the makers of BQE Core, for their support of this podcast episode. Visit bqe.com slash masterclass to register for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Talk to you soon.